compliments to the chef. I'm your host, Nancy. And I'm Betts. And we are very excited to talk to you all today about Top Chef Season 6, Episode 7? has a nice ring to it. Oh my gosh, we are already on episode seven? That's crazy. I, I guess that puts us exactly, this is the halfway point. Oh We got my. seven more episodes, so. Oh my gosh. We have officially watched half of this season. I can't believe it. Oh, this is so fun. Okay, enough reminiscing. So um, we've got a great episode, but before that, Let's heat up some leftovers. Yes. Okay. I believe that we had just a few loose threads to tie up on uh, Boris Johnson because, you know. There are always loose threads with (laughs) Boris Johnson, let's be honest. So um, the context of this is we were talking about temporary judge Toby Young. Young. God, he sucks so much. I don't want to remember his name. But we were talking about how he was revealed to have some sexual... Or like some misogynistic tweets about him, and also that he spent a bit of time in the early two thousands writing plays about sexual scandals in Brit in mm-hmm. Great Britain. So um, one scandal that he wrote about was a Boris Johnson scandal, which I now realize I didn't actually look up, but I did make an accusation in our most recent episode that there was some issue with Boris Johnson and domestic violence, mm-hmm. and I was half right. Okay, so. On um, about four years ago, police were called to the home of Boris Johnson and his partner, Carrie Simmons, in the early hours of Friday morning after neighbors heard a loud altercation involving screaming, shouting, and banging. Mm. And so I don't think there was ever any proved domestic violence, or proven, excuse me, grammatical error, my gosh, Um, but proved. (laughs) Proved out. Proved out. But um, there was an incident where it was questionable as to whether or not there was an issue of domestic violence with his partner. Gotcha. Um, Okay, but moving right on from that, because I don't want to spend any more time with Boris Johnson than I need to, uh, we said we'd follow up with a win counter. So this is just a summary of who has won so far this season. This is as of the beginning of episode seven, so not including what happens in episode seven. So here's where we are. Michael Voltaggio has one elimination challenge win and one quick fire win. Brian Voltaggio has three elimination challenge wins, wow. which is wild, of six challenges. Pretty good. Okay, 50%. Three elimination challenges and zero quick fires, which we talked about last episode. Right. Kevin has two elimination challenges um, and one quick fire. And Jen has zero elimination challenges and two quick fires. Got it. So, so in the first six episodes, the wins are entirely accumulated across only four chefs. Wow. And you'll notice none of them are Mike Isabella. <laughs> I just had to say. Let despite, the record state. Despite what he might think, he was on the top with Brian, but boy, he did not win. Yeah. So there you go. So those are my uh, leftovers for the week. Okay, perfect. And and uh, I had the task of figuring out exactly what chefs can bring on Top Chef. So we were wondering... I'm excited about this. I know. This was like, so based on, this is was inspired by Eli's pressure cooker last week. So we were wondering like, why did he need to bring a pressure cooker when they clearly had them at the Top Chef kitchen? Um, so did a little digging. I actually found a, a video from a uh, one of the executive producers of Top Chef who broke this down. So... Um, chefs are allowed, basically they ask chefs to plan their knife rolls, which is essentially like the kit of knives that they bring with them and, you know, the famous pack your knives and leave are referring to this knife roll. Um, so chefs are allowed to bring 12 knives, a set of tweezers and a knife sharpener. 
Uh, in addition to that, they're also allowed to bring up to 10 non-electrical tools. So I didn't find anything to tell me like why he could bring a pressure cooker. I wonder if this was a more recent video and I wonder if it's just like the rules have changed. If people yeah, watch he and he literally calls it like know. my digital pressure whatever. Right. So I don't oh, know what's going on there. Maybe they changed things. But but yeah, so 10 non-electrical tools. Interesting. Um, and then of course, just some other ob- interesting tidbits I found real quick in that um, in my sleuthing for this, they obviously can't bring recipes. They can't bring cookbooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is like totally unrelated to any of this, but we've, we've talked a lot about like the whole chef back talking thing and like, oh, how chefs should show up to chef's table. Um, I actually found in an article once that, uh, Tom mentions like he actually loves when chefs talk back. Really? Yeah. He thinks it's really like amusing. Um, so amusing or informative? Um, like is he saying I love it because like oh how futile? I don't. Or does think, he love it because he likes the conversation? No, I don't. I don't think it's coming from like a bad place. I think he's like I, I think he, he knows that it's just sort of part of the experience, and he like kind of enjoys that. Um, I don't know. I didn't in, like I didn't read that and think oh he sees it as like a valuable way to change his mind. But he's like open to the re- retort, I guess. I like that. Oh my gosh, I loved everything that you dug up. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is that um, I don't know if you saw this, but in one of the recent episodes, um, Ron, R.I.P. Not actually in real life; he's still alive. But um, as we learned in our "Where Are They Now?" But um, in the show, his knife roll is like a titanium briefcase. Like it's a mm. silver briefcase. It's not a roll. Which is just very interesting. I wonder if it has like the handcuff to the wrist like they do in the... <laughs> These are my knives! Like, spy movies. Okay. I, I would die without them. Amazing. So we didn't have a lot to heat up this week. So um, let's begin. Let's dive into it. Okay. Quick fire reaction, Nancy. What are you walking away with this episode like burning? Um... This episode was a bit of a mixed bag for me. Okay. Um, it was, I think we got some good cooking out of it. We got a partner challenge, which I guess we should maybe start checking as we do all these rewatches if at the 10 person mark, if they always do a partner challenge. Yeah. Because I was, I made a note here too. I was like, is this the first like pair challenge? Yes. Okay. Um, and then the other thing is the quick fire was fun. It had a little element of surprise to it, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the dishes we got out of it were a real mixed bag. Yeah. Everyone, I think, seemed confused about the quick fire. But overall, fun. I did like this. I like the challenges in this episode much better than last episode. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah. Um, same. I think uh, I really love the pair challenges. I think it's so fun. I, I definitely want to get into like your reactions to some of these pairings. Um, I think like again, we have a challenge where it's like cooking this crazy like kitchen. It's like okay, can they just like cook good food like in a normal kitchen at this point? Like, so I get that. Um, obviously, like one of the big standouts this episode was like Jen feeling under the weather. Um, that was fascinating to me. Can like, we talk about yeah, that? What a, what a what a like time capsule of a moment because you know it's. St- it's like, in our post-COVID era, to hear Jen just say, like, you know, I cooked sick all... Like, I've cooked sick before. Like, sometimes you just, it's just what you got to do. It's like, that's actually the one profession that you should probably absolutely not do. Like, what? That was crazy to me. And all the chefs were like, yeah, like, 
I get it. I, okay, I have the ex- My first note is, in a post-COVID world, would Jen ever be allowed to cook sick? First, no. either in a restaurant or on Top Chef. It was so interesting to me. And, the, like, Ashley being like, she's a badass. But like, when, oh, she's a hard-ass, like, oh, my gosh, she's great. When Ashley first started talking, I actually thought she was going to, like, take our side on it and be like, oh, can you believe it? Like, she really shouldn't be cooking sick, like, for the health reasons. I know, but that truly is not a, a germ of an idea. Right. Pun intended. Literally. That really came about in, like, a mainstream way until COVID. Truly. Yeah. Like, I... I definitely have very low hygiene standards in that, like, I'll wear shoes in the house. Right. Uh, I don't always wash my hands after I take the subway. I'm kind of a garbage monster in that way. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there who like to hate on me for that. But I've got a strong immune system. Yeah, that's but true. But, yes, it was so, it, like, she's, like, she literally says, I feel like I'm going to vomit. Yeah. And she's in a kitchen preparing food. Yeah. And, I mean, so that should just tell you, like, this episode, of that was kind of, like, the the fr- the setup right like yeah the layup um and so yeah but let's get into you know the actual episode let's talk let's start with the quick fire our challenge is our f- <laughs> we do have our first bizarre sponsor quickster.com C- cookster sorry cookster I guess it auto corrected did we look up cookster.com um, right now okay I'll talk while I'll vamp while you do that so the challenge is cookster.com essentially like will help you come up with recipes for things that you have in your fridge. And so the contestants have to pull the lever on a slot machine and they get three words to describe the dish that they need to make. One is a mood, one is a flavor profile, and one is a cuisine. And one of the funniest parts about this that is a real theme apparently this season is, of course, one of the cuisines is Asian. Putting the entire continent of Asia, which comprises so many different cuisines, in one bucket is just hilarious. And we got a lot of representation on that one. We got uh, Mike I with Asian. We have Brian with Asian. Um, I believe we have Kevin with Asian. Um, so we got three Asian. We have um, Robin and Ashley, both Middle Eastern. And of course, like, I kind of jumped right into this sort of, like, regional, like, cuisine. But mm-hmm. they also had, you know, the two other descriptors that they got paired. Um Just a quick interjection. So in doing my like 30 seconds of research on Cookster, definitely does not exist anymore. Um, I tried it too and it was going, you know what we need for a moment like this? We need our producer, Jacqueline. Yeah. This is actually a good time in the show to introduce our producer, Jacqueline, um, who is not physically here, but she's just our friend, Jacqueline. And she's our producer. And there's really nothing else to say about that. But, you know, she's a really integral part of this podcast. Yeah. Shout out to our producer, Jacqueline. She was there when we... Told she her. Was, she was the one who encouraged <laughs> us to do this. So she did. If she you said, are, and I quote, You're the only two people that could say this and me think it was a good idea. Yeah, which, which is, is high praise from Jacqueline. Anyway, so uh, producer Jacqueline, thank you for looking up cookster.com. And we found that it definitely doesn't exist anymore. So, cookster be damned. Um, we still got a slot machine out of it, yeah. which is very fun. I do love, I love the. I do love that kind of like waiting period, like do do. Like some people got a lot of the same words, yes. and then you have Ashley get up there and she pulls blue cheesy Middle Eastern, and I was like, where have those terms been hiding the whole time? They're totally out of left field. But okay, before we get into the dishes, let's talk about these moods. 
I was really confused about the direction with the moods. Some of the moods were stressed, blue, romantic. Adventurous. Adventurous. And like, first off, adventurous is, is that a mood? Uh, Tired. Tired. Like, I guess my confusion here, and I want to know how you would interpret like one of these moods, is are they supposed to cook a dish like if you're feeling tired, what would you cook? Because if I'm feeling tired... I'm making my pan chicken piccata that I make every right. night and like it takes five minutes and it's because I'm tired and I don't feel like cooking. If I'm feeling stressed, I'm ordering sushi. Right. And if I'm feeling adventurous, I'm going out to eat. Like I'm just very confused yeah. about these moods and how, what is an adventurous dish? Like an adventurous yeah. dish is, I think of an adventurous dish is like trying a new Thai dish that's really spicy that I've never had before, yeah. or just a new cuisine entirely. Well, I think that that's it. I think, like, in this context, it's, like, adventurous is cooking something outside of your comfort zone. And so, like, I think the one of the chefs that got adventurous, so Brian, Brian, Mike V, and Jen all had adventurous. And Jen actually was, like, I actually didn't see the, that um, word being used as a... It was basically used as a way for the judges to say that it didn't meet, it didn't meet the criteria. It wasn't like, oh, I'm tasting romantic or I'm tasting adventurous. It was only brought up in the in, uh, event that the judge, or excuse me, that the chef did not like. Yeah, it just do felt it. like there was no uh, parity among these terms no. when it came to the moods. Like, right. it's if I'm feeling tired, what am I cooking? Or like. If I'm tired, what do I want to eat? Yeah, which I, are two I honestly different just don't even think these chefs like like even kept that word in mind at all. It yeah. was like really just like the flavor profile uh-huh. and the the like culinary cuisine. Yes, um, is that like repetitive culinary like the cuisine, the regional cuisine? Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, but I mean, in the case of Jen, who again adventurous, they did call her out and be like, okay, she meets scallops again, like. Dog, she's made scallops quite a bit. Um, she all she does, and is I make love fish. Jen, but like, oh boy, we need to see some more, some different proteins. Yes. Some and so for her, it was not adventurous. Makes sense. Yep. Um, but okay, someone that I want to talk about is Kevin, who actually won the quick fire, and we'll get to that in a second. So Kevin got the blanket Asian, the dreaded Asian. Yes, and he says he's never cooked with Asian flavors before. Again, there are so many different types of Asian flavors. But what was really interesting was that his dish, he said, was specifically Vietnamese. And of course, we couldn't try it. Like, we didn't know the flavors. But I'm curious if he is familiar with Vietnamese right. flavors specifically or what made him say Vietnamese. Like, I, I wonder if it's just where he lives. Like, because I know in New Orleans, like, oh. Vietnamese is sort of the dominant, like, South Asian, like, cuisine. That's a good point. That's a very good point. I take that. Okay, well, mystery solved. Mystery solved. But, um, okay, the other people on the top for this were Mike Isabella. Ugh. I don't even remember what he cooked, but he did something. Um, well, oh, it's funny you mention that because yeah. we actually had two yuzus two in this quick yuzus fire. And one ceviche. And one ceviche. Okay, so just a quick check-in on our food counter. So as a reminder, we are tracking the number of uh, dishes that feature bacon, uh, ceviche, yuzu, and risotto. So, uh, with this quick fire in episode seven, we have now brought our ceviche counter up to a total of 12 so far this season. In seven episodes. In seven episodes. And our yuzu is now sitting at four. Um, so that's eight for bacon, three for risotto, four for yuzu, and 12 for ceviche. So, anyways, we're keeping eyes on it, but, um, yeah, I... Wow. And I actually think 
I will say, okay, I want to get this question to you, Nancy. Whose plate came out and you were just like, yum, I would eat that, no doubt, right now? Oh, that's a good question. Because that, I don't usually, but there was one dish here for me that really just... None of, honestly, none of these really called to me. The feta pudding, I am not a feta cheese person. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I know that you're Greek, but it just doesn't do it for me. I don't like shellfish, so the scallops are out for me. The curry chickpeas, let's just have oh, a moment. Oh, boy. So, Robin, who is sort of everyone's oh, favorite yes. punching bag, so said that she made this curry chickpea hash for Middle Eastern, and Padma immediately says, well, curry isn't really a Middle Eastern spice, because, I mean, Padma is Indian. She cooks a lot. She <laughs> talks... Every season when there's an Indian challenge, she's like the authority. And Robin just goes, mm, well, maybe. Like she had no defense. She clearly yeah. in that moment had absolutely no defense. Yeah, she kind of was... like short-circuited her way, like walking that back. Yeah. So that one didn't really call to me. I don't know. What's what's the one that's on your mind? The one that was burning for me was actually Mike Voltaggio's. Oh, the he dessert. Had that yuzu dessert. Yuzu Whoa, dessert. that looks good. I, yeah. If it's, I, you know this, I love like a fruit forward dessert. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a berry and a like whipped cream, oh boy. One of the best desserts I've had in a long time was Kendra, who will be a guest on the pod, uh, did a pop-up over the summer where she did like an Indian collaboration with a chef she works with at Bon Appetit. And they did this meringue, this passion fruit meringue with berries. And it was yum out of this world. You would have loved it. Oh, God, I actually I went to that. another table and was like, are you going to eat that? <laughs> and I ate it because I'm normally I'm a chocolate forward dessert, but yeah, that one really converted me. So yeah. So all around, I would say, um, it was fun to see like how people like kind of honored some of these words, abandoned others. Um, all in all, we saw some like kind of uninventive stuff from some folks, some totally missing the mark stuff. Um, I think they actually also liked Ashes, which I'll just kind of say he did. He, I think Tyler Florence. Oh he's yes, like, he That's said it was thing. straight from the streets of Napoli. Yeah, and I was also like, okay. okay. I think we've like are good on the plates, but like let's talk about Tyler Florence because let's. is he like at that time like. Is he supposed to be hot? Like, is he hot? Yeah, he was like an attractive young chef yeah, at the time. He was crazy. a he was a real TV personality. Um, but very quickly, I just want to call out who was on the bottom of this. So we had Robin, who again aired greatly and offended Padma. Then we had Eli, whose dish was quote drowned in citrus. And then surprisingly, we have Jen on the bottom. Now she said that she's feeling nauseous, so clearly that affected her performance. But um, the critique there was that her dish was not adventurous. Yeah. So, you know, but it's her first time on the bottom. Uh, Now, the thing that I want to make sure that we cover before we get to the elimination challenge is Kevin. So Kevin wins the high stakes quick fire and he is allowed uh, the choice between $15,000 or immunity. The same choice we saw Robin given in episode one. Yeah. But Kevin... Takes the money and not the immunity. I I love it. Love this man. It's actually, um, it's crazy to think that Robin didn't do that. In episode one. Yeah. Like, the odds of you going, well, she probably honestly would have had she not. But, like, I don't know. Like, 15, that, really? You want to, okay, whatever. Yeah, so I loved that Kevin essentially alluded to the fact that he knows he's not going home. Not because he's a favorite, but because he's confident in himself. And that is a type of confidence that we want out of these chefs. And I think he got a lot of respect in everyone's book for saying, nah, I'll just take the money. Also, because, like, 
God forbid he does go home, he's going home with $15,000. Yeah. Like, okay, fine. So, I get that. Anyway, let's move on to the elimination challenge. do 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 Um, okay. This, this one's kind of a mouthful, again. Um, so, this week's elimination challenge, basically, like, at the end of the quick fire, typically, the chefs are kind of told right there in the Top Chef kitchen what's coming at them for the elimination challenge. However, today, uh, this episode, Padma says, uh, you know, nope, just head home. You'll, you'll figure out what's going on later. So the chefs head back to the house. Lo and behold, um, the challenge awaits them uh, in their very own home. It's so a trap. It is a full trap uh, orchestrated by Macy's Culinary Council, um, which we'll get into. So for the challenge, the chefs roll up back to the crib um, and essentially are asked to put on a dinner party for Macy's Culinary Council, um, which is basically just a bunch of like famous chefs and restaurateurs that we'll kind of run down the list on in a bit. Um, but the ask is that they create one family-style dish. They will draw knives for both their uh, teammate. So this is going to be a pair challenge. So they'll draw the knife to determine their teammate and also the bag of ingredients from the uh, guest judge that they will be cooking. So we have five guest judges. Um, Each of them has their own sort of like culinary background. So we get a little bit of like diversity as far as like ingredients represented. Um, What are your thoughts, Nancy, on this challenge? I think it was doing a lot. Yeah. Um, I think... I liked that they had the different chefs and like the mystery bags. Um, I thought that was fun. I I do think that, you know, cooking time after time in these unconventional environments, it has to be getting the best of yeah. them. And it is. I mean, I think it was um, Jen is again feeling the stress of the competition. Yeah. She clearly is being a little beat down. I think Brian made a comment about it too. Yeah. And it's like, when are they going to get a break? I actually have a question for you, which is, do you think that, like, part of me is convinced now that, like, this is, a, like, a conspiracy theory where the the producers realize, like, the gap of talent was too great, and they basically are doing these crazy challenges to essentially, like, handicap, like, the stronger chefs Interesting. in some way. I don't know how much of a conspiracy that is. I think there's a lot to that. I think at the beginning, they're trying to let everyone get their sea legs. So yeah. the challenges and the cooking situations are more straightforward. I think that's actually a great point. I think that everyone has a sense of yeah. who's who and what's what. And now we're going to just hyperload you with right. all of these different variables that could possibly set you astray. I think that's a really good point. I also remember that um, I listened to an interview on... Our brother podcast, Pack Your Knives. Love. They don't even know we exist, know. but we, we love, love them. them. We love you. Have us on your podcast. I would die for you. I would die for you, <laughs> Kevin Orvis. <laughs> um, definitely listen to Pack Your Knives if you like us. Yeah. But also, if you like Pack Your Knives, listen to us. Yeah. It goes both ways. Anyway, um, they interviewed the lead producer for Top Chef on season 20, which was in London. Mm-hmm. And pretty much she said that... After every challenge, this isn't like that relevant to this, but I think it's an interesting point where she says after they announce the challenge, they always sit down with the chef testants and let them ask questions. Ah. And the idea is that like, you know, there's a lot of money. There's real money at stake here. Right. And there, there, it needs to be fair. Yeah. It needs to be that everybody is given a fair shot. Of course, there are people who are stronger competitors than others, but they 
production, because there is money on the line and they are working with sponsors and there's like a lot of interest, there can't be any sense of corruption or like it being rigged. that's interesting. And so to your point, um, yes, I think it's possible that they do this to like knock them off. Right. But I really think that they are just consistently trying to create the most equal and level playing field that they can. That is super Which is why they have these mysterious elements to all of the challenges. Right. Like, you know, if you cook every single time in the Top Chef kitchen, then, uh, you know, someone who's really good in that type of environment, whereas it might not favor someone like Ash, who didn't go to culinary school. Yeah. That's really good for someone who, like, you know, uh, Ron, I think, went to Culinary Institute of America. Right. And so that type of professional kitchen is really good for him. So I think that they mix it up to try to level the playing field. They also do it, of course, to make it entertaining for us. And this challenge was very entertaining. It was. Seeing them in that home kitchen, it's also a moment of relatability. Yeah. Like, oh, I cook in my kitchen. Like, I wonder what I could create in my home with an electric wok. Yeah. So, yeah. So, th- that this is the other thing. And this is always, like, the pinch when... Because there's typically a challenge every season with, like, the chef testants are cooking at the home that they're staying at. Um, so, what ends up happening is there's clearly not enough space in the kitchen for everybody. So, people have to get creative about, like, where they're setting up in the home. Um, what they're using to, like, cook their food or if they're cooking their food. So... Like Nancy's saying, um, Mike V and Ash decide to claim like the dining room. They set up a couple of walks that they plug into and the like wall. And like electric griddles. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are, what were some other kind of crazy setups that we saw? Um, well, we saw just so many people in the kitchen. Yeah, it was pretty crowded. In there. Uh, it was very, very crowded. And then Mike, I, and Robin seemed to get this huge space right. to themselves. It was like a bar. Like I, in the I think it was like the bar near the pool or basement. Yeah, that's a good guess. Um, but then... Two people we didn't see at all were Brian and Lorene. Yeah, there, there were nowhere to be, for whatever reason, they were not shot during this challenge. Like, my theory, no footage of yeah, them. Yeah, my theory is that they were working in a part of the house where cameras, like, they couldn't get the lighting set up or What if they were just, reason. like, in the bathroom and they were like, no, that's going to be gross, we can't show that. Honestly, like, I think it, that that's honestly it. might be it, yeah. I think either the footage was lost yeah. or it was something that they actively chose to not show that's some toilet halibut yes but very quickly should <laughs> we've gotten a bit ahead of ourselves yes. should we talk about the chef so there are these five chefs standing in the backyard each with their own bag of groceries that yes. exemplifies their signature style of cooking yes. so i know you did a little research on this can you tell me about who our judges are yes so i'll do a kind of a quick rundown so um Tyler Florence returns for the for the elimination challenge. I'm not going to dawdle on that one, but American chef, television host of a lot of Food Network shows. Um, we also have Tom Douglas. He's an American executive chef, uh, restaurateur, author, radio talk show host. He actually won the James Beard Award for Best Northwest Chef in 94. Uh, and then won again for Best Restaurateur in uh, 2012. Oh, love to see that. Yeah. Arc. So he's a very he sustained, relevant. yes, uh, success story. Um, we had Govind or Govind Armstrong. Govind. Govind. Um, need to check the pronunciation. He also American chef who specializes in California cuisine. Um, I think the main reason we're seeing him here is he authored a cookbook called Small Bites, Big Nights. Uh, sedu- <laughs> no, you're going to love the second part. Seductive little plates for intimate occasions and lavish parties. So he's sort of like wrote the book, so to speak, on a dinner party. Um, he also, interestingly enough, 
began training at Spago, which is Wolfgang Puck's like wow. institution, at the age of thirteen. Is that legal? I don't think so. <laughs> I th- I think probably like he lied about that, but anyways, whatever worked out. Good for him. Um, we have Takahashi uh, Yagahashi. I think I got that right. Mm-hmm. Um, he is actually a Japanese chef based in the Midwest for most of his kind of American career. He has uh, restaurants in Detroit, Chicago. He actually opened up the restaurant that's in the Win Las Vegas, Okada. Home um, of the David Guetta pool party. Home of the David Guetta pool party. Uh, and then finally, last but not least, we have another sort of like California cuisine chef in Nancy Silverton, who's... Best known for being a American uh, baker. And also best known for being my namesake. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, my parents named me after Nancy Silverton. They really? did it. <laughs> okay. I was like, so I, I either, feel like that would have come up. I have, right? Like at the very beginning of this, I, I have three different Nancys I say my parents named me after. What are the two Nancy Silverton. Nancy Reagan. Oh, I didn't <laughs> that one. The blowjob queen of Hollywood. <laughs> What? You don't know about this? Okay. Saving that for leftovers. Oh, oh my God. I have my no God. idea what that could that possibly That is going to be very... Okay. Everyone listening right now, listen next week. You're going to get a mouthful. Just kidding, an earful. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. We got two okay. of the Nancys. Did we even get two? We got we got Nancys over there. Nancy Pelosi. Oh, Nancy Pelosi. And then Sister Nancy, acclaimed reggae artist from Jamaica. Okay, right. Who my parents very clearly did not name yet. I don't even think my parents know Sister Nancy exists. I don't know that I did either. You do. Bomb, bomb, beat em. Oh, bomb, of course. Bomb. That's Sister Nancy. Okay, okay. Very cool. Um, so anyways, Nancy Silverton, no relation to Sister Nancy. Um, or Nancy De Silva. Or Nancy De Silva. Uh, winner of the James Beard uh, Foundation Outstanding Chef in 2014. So also still very relevant. Um, Her chopped salad. Oh, it's yummo. so good. She also came up through Spago's. So she was the opening pastry chef of Spago's. I think I kind of yeah, like remember that. Yeah, back in the 80s. She, oh, really? If you've never had Nancy's chopped salad, I highly recommend. I love a chopped salad. Ooh, yummy. Um, very last fun fact on her, and then we'll move on. Uh, she's actually married to none other than Mark Peel. Right. Who we, we hung out with a couple episodes ago. Yes. So that is, uh, I guess they're divorced now? Or maybe well, he's still- dead. Oh. But I don't know okay. if they got divorced before he died or if she's his right. widow. Um, but Talk about a dinner party I want to go to. That would be in- incredible. 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 Show me one of those Nancy Myers houses in... Oh, that's who you're named after. Oh my god, there's so <laughs> many good Nancys out there. None under the age of 65. Uh, yeah, no. None. Okay, so here, those are our chefs. So we have some serious heavy hitters with some serious mystery bags. And oh, so... Yes. There go the chefs in their little pairs off into the kitchens. All right, so we got the chefs prepping. We've already kind of talked a little bit about, like, Mike Voltaggio and Ash's setup. They're cooking on a walk. We've got Mike, I, and Robin, like, I don't know, at the bar in the basement. No <laughs> idea where Brian and Lorene are this whole time. They're in the bathroom. Well, what's going on with Kevin and Jen? Oh, I love them. I mean, this is a question. Let's Let's... What's the best pairing we have coming into this? Kevin and Jen. Yeah, I know. They are such heavy hitters. And the thing is, obviously, when Jen was with Mike Voltaggio a few episodes ago, she was really, like, puffing up her chest, like, playing with the boys. And I think that Kevin is just a really respectful guy. Yeah. Who, like, doesn't need to do that to be good at his job. Yeah. And 
they just worked really well together. I loved the part of them discovering what cut of beef they had was incredible because to me that was just a glimpse into their training. Like they, they get this mystery piece of like full round beef or whatever and they don't know what it is and they start cutting at the fat and they pull it off and they say, oh, it's ribs. Oh, I love that. And it was just cool they to see that knowledge. They were fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, they were just fun. They like obviously seemed to be enjoying the experience mm-hmm. too, which like I don't think we could say for all the judges or excuse me, the chef's essence. Um, so yeah, totally agree. Love seeing that pairing. I also was like really kind of vibing at least early on with the Eli Ashley pairing. I was going to say, what did you think of both how they conceived their dish and then how they executed it tempered by their visit from Tom Colicchio? Yeah. So this is like the other like thing of it all, which is, um, Tom is sort of like... Like, okay, I was just set aside the Ashley and the Eli stuff. Like, I, the first thought I had when Tom, like, rolled up with his, like, little, like, purple linen shirt on was, like, dude, he's a thousand percent the guest that comes really early while you're still getting ready and just, like, bothers you while you're cooking. It's like, can I help with anything? And, like, isn't helpful. So, like, I know he does this occasionally, like, when they're doing their prep and, uh, for elimination challenges, but this, this one particularly hit hard for me. That was, that was a fun ride. Um, so thanks uh, for that, Tom. Um, yeah, so Eli and Ashley, um, prawns and gnocchi, I don't, I didn't get that at all. Um, and weird. What, okay, so it's spotted prawns, but again, like, we need a prawn counter maybe. This is like the third prawn we've seen, too. I think this is like the eighth prawn we've seen. If we're counting prawns and shrimps, it's gotta be eight or nine at this point. Easily. Um, so. Oh yeah, I forget that prawns and shrimp are different. Were you surprised, like, talk to me about sort of, like, the, the, like, high-level breakdown of dynamics, like, that you saw across the teams? Oh, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't really surprised at how it played out with anybody. I think Ash was pumped to be with Mike Voltaggio. I don't know if they've had a conversation this entire season, and I think Ash has sort of been, like, waiting his turn. Yeah, And he got it big time. Oh my God, that's exactly what it was, dude. He was like, oh, I like... I get because he's not the type of abrasive personality of a Mike I who's just gonna no. force his way into the brothers Voltage. This is his shot. At the this is big his times. shot at being like of service to Michael Voltaggio. Yeah, and we'll get to how that played out in a a little bit. But um, that dynamic wasn't surprised at all. Have no clue what the dynamic between Brian and Loreen was. We'll never know. <laughs> never know. Um, the lost tape. Eli and Ashley. I was not surprised to see that they were sort of talking past each other. Yeah, there in my mind, even though Ashley was saying how like she sort of took like the kind of lead role, they kind of strike me as like having the same temperament in the mm-hmm. kitchen. And so like, yeah, you kind of almost won a Mike Voltaggio and Ash situation. Um, they weren't great. Of course, the one that really grinds my gears oh is the Mike I. Robin situation. Yes. How, okay, did you catch how many times he said I? I- I have that in my notes. It was disgusting. Yes, dude. It was Robin Erasure. Yeah, Robin Erasure. Justice for Robin. Look, I don't think either of us is going to sit here and say she's a great chef. I think she has constantly tripped over herself in this competition. But he did it so on purpose and like in such a grotesque way. Yeah, It was gross. Every single time in any 
forum. He said, I, me, I had this to work with. And it was, it was, you gave me this bag. Like, yeah, it was disgusting. Oh, but in a beautiful moment of like karmic retribution, when the challenge started and they all ran into the house, Mike, I took a tumble and and took Eli down with him. And so it was like this beautiful moment. (laughs) Yeah, it was perfect. So I was happy to see him, you know, like fall on his face preemptively for the treatment he gave Robin in this challenge. Yes. So dismissive. It was gross to watch. It was gross. Um, So, yeah, I think... Let's talk about the the food. Let's talk about the food. So let's actually just, you know, kick it off with Mike and Robin. Um, They got Takashi Yagahashi's bag. Um, They were working with, I believe, scallop and tuna? No, it was tuna with mushrooms. Oh, tuna with mushrooms. I believe. Okay. Um, And it was... According to the judges, it was a successful dish, um, but it's clear that Tom has, like, come in with the information that their dynamic wasn't the best in the kitchen, and to me, it's obvious that while the dish is good, it's not good enough that they need to reward that behavior on Mike's part. I Uh, totally agree. Um, In a partnership challenge, I mean, do you think that they weigh how they work together as part of the rubric? That's a good point. I mean, I I feel like part of it is just, it, it's like kind of inherently baked into the evaluation because like if they don't work well, they're going to be on the bottom or we won't hear about it. Um, so if they're on the bottom and they don't work well, um, you know, then it's just a matter of like who was the more responsible party for the worst part of the dish. But yeah, I... I just don't know that there's ever a benefit to, like, just speaking badly of your teammate. Um, like, because you draw attention to yourself before it actually gets to the deciding moment. Like, if you look a mess and you're bringing stuff out and I can, like, sense your weird energy, like, you've already primed me to think something's going to be wrong on this plate. That is very well put. I think that's exactly right. Um, so next we have Jen and Kevin, our favorite duo of the night. Um, with their Kobe beef with a cardamom and ginger tomato broth. Yum. It sounds delicious. I'm eating that. It sounds out of left field. Like, I'm going to be honest, the tomato yeah. was very strange to me. It was clearly delicious, so I'm not going to knock it at all, and I'd love to try it. Um, but it was just, it was a surprise to me. It didn't feel like that went with the flavors at all that they got in their basket. Yes. And to me, cardamom's interesting. It's like one of those spice flavors I like can't remember until I taste it. So, like, when anytime a chef, and it's not as popular of an ingredient on this, but, like, on, like, the Great British Baking Show, for instance, they love to bake with it. And I can yeah. never get a sense for, like, what that tastes like. Um, we need to go eat some cardamom and report Yeah, we're going to shove it in our mouths. Should we do it for leftovers next week? Yeah, we got it. Um, Putting it on the list. Okay, so let's see. We Other kind of folks that didn't really get the vibe right. We have Eli and Ashley. We kind of already talked about like what weird pairing like gnocchi and spot prawns are. And beet. Like there was like some beet yeah. pesto I on the I will say that like visually, and I think one of the judges made a comment of this. Oh, none other than Toby McGuire or whatever. Toby Young. Um, Toby Maguire. I'd much rather hear what yeah, Toby what Maguire had to say. Yeah, what insult to Toby Maguire. I'm sorry, Toby Maguire. Um, but I actually thought their dish was, like he said, like kind of Monet, like beautiful from a distance and kind of whack up close. Yeah. Did steal that from Clueless. So, you know, he's not the oh, most original. God, but... I hate that I quoted him and he quoted something else. It's okay. It's okay. That's Clueless Erasure. A clueless Erasure. A lot of Erasure. Um... <laughs> 
Okay, so the the gnocchi was too salty. Ashley knew the gnocchi was too salty. You heard her say it. Yeah. So you hate when that happens. But she also undercooked the protein. She did. She also underseasoned it. And like that's one of Tom's biggest gripes is he's like, just because you salted one thing on the plate does not mean you don't have to salt anything else. You have to salt and taste each individual component. Yeah, he sort of looked at her and he said, like, that never works. We yeah. all know that never works. Yeah. So I, I, I understand her intentions with it. Um, but it's just sad because I do think that they could have gotten away with not putting the gnocchi on the plate at all. Yeah. And even though the protein was a little undercooked, they would have gotten, they would have fared That's, better yeah. than the other team on the bottom. I hate when I get on that train of thought because then I'm just like, oh. What if? Um, and this is, of course, in the days before Last Chance Kitchen. Oh, Which gosh. I can't even open that bag of worms. Yes, but just wait. So excited Listeners, just you wait. Um, so, okay, so kind of rounding out the, <coughs> the, the disappointments, um, we also have Mike V and Ash. Uh, they got absolutely walked this episode. They got bopped by the walk. Um, so Mike V and Ash are trying to throw together some basically bacon wrapped scallops. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. what was it? Like, ba- like prosciutto wrapped fish? It was bacon wrapped halibut. Okay. I was surprised to see so Mike a, do it was a, a halibut wrap. Yeah, between the brothers. The Voltaggio halibut off. The annual Voltaggio halibut <laughs> off. <laughs> the first annual, the last annual. Because Mike V didn't win, so you know he's not participating again. I will not do that. <laughs> Dad! The odds were stacked against me. <laughs> it's not fair. So, I, had, I had to use electrical outlets. Anyways, so Mike V's thinking he's real clever and stuff. Uh, plugging in those walks and steps away for a moment. Turns out the walks go off. Um, they, and They blew the fuse. The fish goes cold. Yeah, it just like I was really surprised to see something like bacon wrapped fish no, from Mike V. That's weird. It feels so. And then he puts a ravioli gimmicky. on top of it. Yeah, and it, like it didn't look that's good. crazy to me. I will say Toby Buttface or whatever his name is, like he <laughs> we just he need to use a different last name every time. Every, Our producer. It's Jackson, gonna be Toby Erasure. <laughs> Toby Erasure. Toby last name Erasure. <laughs> Um, our producer Jacqueline will think of a list of last names for us Thank to use you, from Jacqueline. now on. Thank you, Jacqueline. Um, so I was gonna say that I did agree with him where he was like the textures in this were all off. You had like mushy ravioli, mushy yep. egg yolk, and then of course the fish wasn't cooked well. Maybe like a crispy bacon would have saved yeah. the texture of it, but it was also a very beige dish. Yeah, there was no like it was. I didn't like the no power of it. It was so it's like it was not really appealing visually and ash was just along for the ride he was having the time of his life he was like one of those kids with like the big lollipop and like the the like helicopter hat like that guy was so happy to be there like i almost wish he went home just so he could go out with that fun experience oh my true like i think he would have been he probably would have loved it yeah um he'd be like what an honor what an honor um i would die for you michael (laughs) tajio um and then okay last dish to talk about is um the other halibut in the halibut off which we did not get the 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 censored halibut yes censored (laughs) talk about halibut erasure i'm saying it's got to be that it they made it in a bathroom. Like, that's a <laughs> bathtub be. halibut, toilet halibut. And <laughs> but apparently it was good. Because where else? They had to probably have a, a sink, right? Like, access to a sink and counters. And where else are you going to get that? <laughs> the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's halibut erasure. We need it. I bet there's something on Reddit to, like, I bet something. Okay, I'm going to task you I'm gonna with look that. It yeah. Um, but, okay, clearly this was a delicious dish because we have it on the top. It was a halibut with a corn cake and chorizo vinaigrette. So, I think 
We've now really talked about these five dishes. So on the top, we have two teams. We have Lorene and Brian with their erased halibut. And we have their erased halibut. Their erased. <laughs> which I guess is like the past tense of erasure. Um, and then we have Jen and Kevin, which was great to see. And I think we've said it all. These dishes were great. And I was just so happy to see Jen get this win. Her first elimination yes. win. She's on the board with the boys. And like... It is indisputable that she is a top chef. Yeah, a queen. She's so good. Oh, we love you, Jen Carroll. Yes, I'm going to keep Jen making memes about you so you like my content. Honestly, Jen Carroll's a real one, for, that's for sure. Absolutely. But, okay, let's talk about the bottom because the judges' table was pretty interesting. We, Yo, I had one letter here and that was F. <laughs> I was, this is sad. Not to jump. We won't okay, jump well, tell ahead, me. But... I want to hear your thoughts. Well, no, I mean, so on the bottom we have Ash and Mike V., uh, we also have Eli and Ashley. Um, okay, let's start with the Ash and Mike V. Dude, I... Ash was prostrating himself on the altar of Mike V so hard. I've never been more uncomfortable it was in so a judges' weird. table moment. Like, going into it, like... He literally, the quote of the episode, I think, was when, you know, they're trying to figure out who did what, and Ash says, quote... It's like washing paintbrushes for Picasso. Like, what? And Tom is like, okay, so what you're saying is like, you don't think you're going to be here for much longer? What were you trying to accomplish there? It was gross seeing him suck up. Like, did he think he's like going to get a job working for Mike Voltaggio? I honestly think he was like only, his most important thing was like, Mike Voltaggio must like me. Yeah. At all costs. And Mike was really uncomfortable about it. He was like, no, yeah. I have a lot of accountability for that dish. And I think, look, it's obvious Mike V is not going home. He is such a strong player. I'm sure in the moment he felt, but there was a real reason to send him home. He, and almost... Ash is accomplishing the complete opposite of what he's yeah, trying to accomplish. Yeah, it was all his ideas. It was he's all him. Awesome. I love him. I let him do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And so the fact that it was bad, like, the judges have no option but to send <laughs> Mike V home for yeah. this because it's so clear that his minion did nothing. Yeah. He set the table. Like, he took 10 minutes out of their two-hour oh, cooking that. time to set the table. Wow. Which I'm wondering, like, pr- would production have just done that if Ash hadn't? Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was like, he was so, I need to understand like what conversations were had. Yeah, I need, I need That put to him in such a weird position there. That was super weird. In the, dude, when they get back into the waiting room and Mike B just like in classic, like non-emotive monotone fashion is just like, you didn't have to say all that stuff you said. And like, at first when he says that, I'm like, oh, he's going to like be mad at him for saying all that because it's makes, kind of throws him under the bus. Yes. In an, in, in an unintended way on Ash's part, but, um, and then he's like, that was really nice. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, so obviously it worked. Like, Ash yeah. sucked his butt enough and, like, he, <laughs> it worked. Um, oh, oh gosh. Well, okay, then, of course, we have the Ashley-Eli uh, combo. This, and this, see, this is where the F is for me. This like, was hard to watch because yeah. I think in discussing the dish, it did become obvious that Ashley was really accountable for a lot of the yeah. things that they didn't unfortunately even though we love ashley we love you love ashley um we it is clear that like you know she undercooked the prawns she just she decided to keep the uh gnocchi on the plate 
And, like, there were a lot of yeah. elements that she was actually responsible for. But I really feel like Eli did her dirty here. Yeah. He was a real weasel. He was a big old bowling ball. He let one. her take a lot of accountability, which I think was valid for her to take. But he didn't show any honor here. Well, who was... Did she make the gnocchi as well? She prepped them, but he cooked them. And so he so what, salted the water. Oh, and that's what yeah. made it so salty. Yeah. I mean, But it's possible she put salt in the dough. Like, that's also entirely possible. Yeah, yeah. So what did he do? He just kind of cooked. Yeah, it's unclear what he did. I didn't really get that. I mean, I guess you can't go home if you didn't do anything, which we've talked about, but... um, So yeah, so bummer of all bummers, Ashley goes home, um, super disappointed, Mm -hmm. um, but have to ask uh, Nancy, prawn and gnocchi, are you eating that? I would not eat that. Would not eat that. I don't think I would eat that either. Across the board on shrimp, I'm not going to eat it unless... It is like, what's that famous place in New Orleans with the barbecue shrimp? Where it's like their number one oh, dish. Oh, yeah. Uptown there. Um, Giacomo's. Yes. Yeah. Like, unless it's that, I'm not going to yeah. go for it. So, across the board, I'm a, I'm a no. Also, I don't like beets. Um, oh, God. And no salty gnocchi doesn't appeal. So, I'm out on all components of this dish. What about you? Um, I'm with you. I don't think I've ever, like, seen that pairing before. Um... So, yeah, not really interested. Honestly, I would eat it just because it, like, in solidarity with Ashley. Like, that would, it would be like a, it would be like a solidarity eat. I think that's respected, or respect. But, um, so, Ashley goes home, unfortunately. But I'm very excited to share with you where Ashley is now. Oh, okay, yes. It's good. So, um, where are they now? Ashley Merriman edition. At the time of airing, uh, Ashley worked for a restaurant called Bronzino in mm-hmm. Seattle. She was very soon there. She was soon thereafter recruited by Alex Gornishelli, who of oh, Food yeah. Network fame. Yep. Who I didn't realize was the owner and executive chef at Butter, which was like the place in this in like the mid aughts in New York City. It was sort of like half nightclub, half dinners. Okay. You know, one of these places that only exists in New York. Yeah. And it was like the most elite. It was the place you wanted to be seen. Like, I think there was an episode of Gossip Girl that was filmed at Butter. Wow. It was the We spot. should probably watch that episode just to be and sure. And do a special bonus episode of content. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, like, it just, it was the spot. It was the cool place to get a reservation, to be seen, see and be seen. And so it's actually kind of cool that Ashley worked there. I like that about her. Um, she married her... Now, wife, Gabrielle Hamilton. Yay! Around this time. And Gabrielle is also a chef and cookbook author. Um, And together, they operated a restaurant called Prune, which was a brunch restaurant. Prune. Uh, Prune. That's how you smile. Prune. Um, Fun story about Prune. When my sister was in college at NYU, I was home for the holidays from college myself. I think it was my freshman year of college. I'm a bit of a college grad myself. I'm a bit of a college... I've got two degrees. Not just a master's, also an undergrad degree. (laughs) You can't just jump to the master's. They don't let you. You can't just jump straight to the master's, it turns out. So then actually I had to go back and get my undergrad degree. (laughs) It was my freshman year of college. I came back. My sister was a student at NYU at the time. And... I like hung out with her for the day and we went to prune for lunch and our waiter sort of messed up our order, mine in particular, and he was very apologetic about it. And in a moment that like, you know, would only happen in my early years, I left my number for him (gasps) uh, on the check when we paid 
And he texted me and we went on a date. Wow. And we kissed. That's really cool. Right? And what's also crazy is I remember exactly where we went on a date. It was, it's no longer open, but it was like this New Orleans themed bar called The Levy. There is a The Levy in Brooklyn. That. There is one in, um, oh, in Williamsburg, but there was another one in Manhattan called The Levy. So Prune closed a few years ago. Okay. Um, but while they were still working at Prune, both um, Ashley and her partner, Gabrielle, uh, bought what was the Spotted Pig, which was a very oh. famous restaurant. Uh, and they went in on the Spotted Pig with a chef named Ken Friedman, who was Mario Batali's partner. Whoa. And in light of the Me Too accusations against Mario Batali, some came out against Ken Friedman <gasps> as well. So they, so Ashley and Gabrielle backed out of the Yo, deal. Oh, nice. I will take this moment to add the famous anecdote about Mario Batali's Me Too apology. He wrote a long apology letter on his blog and truncated it with the statement, quote, in case you're searching for a holiday inspired breakfast, these pizza dough cinnamon rolls are a fan favorite. Wait, like as an SEO play or what? Unclear, but he literally ended his Me Too apology with a link to a recipe for cinnamon rolls. Oh, okay. So no, he was just being an asshole. Unclear. Like, okay. No one knows what was going through okay. his mind when he did this. But like... This we is, have to figure out what was going on in his mind. Okay, we can left over this. Okay. But I, I thought adding that one quote would help. But I, we can do a full deep dive on the Mario Batali Me Too apology. Okay. But this was like a widely ridiculed thing that happened, I think, in 2015 or 16? Maybe even 17. Sometime around then. Um, okay, I think we found a great topic for leftovers. My goodness. Um, wait, but we're not done. So then uh, in 2021, Ashley became the chef at the National Arts Club which is a very cool New York-based club. It's a 501c3 organization, uh-huh. but it's like this very storied group of essentially New York's elite artists and um, writers. It's sort of like an Algonquin round table. Okay, we need to get our producer Jacqueline to get us in there. I don't know anyone who can get into the National Arts Club. That's what our producer's it's, for. Yeah, that's what Jacqueline's for. It is right next to Cafe Pana, my favorite ice cream in the city. So we can maybe just go get ice cream and walk by it. It's okay. right on Gramercy Park. And it's just this very story, storied organization for like the best people in literature of the day. And she became the chef there. And then as of December 9th, 2022, she posted on Instagram a photo of her with um, like what, just like some guy and they're both in suits. And she said, have I mentioned that I've packed my knives and left? And she, she then went on to describe that she is done being a chef. She's founded a suiting company called Bindle and Keep. It's a custom suit company based in Brooklyn. And they make suits for people of all genders. Whoa. And she's essentially a tailor okay. now. I may need to buy one of her suits. Oh, yeah. For your wedding? Yeah. That would be so cool. Just so we can meet her yeah. and get her on the pod. Okay, we got to figure out how to play that game. Um, Okay, that's so awesome. I'm so glad. I mean, I'm bummed that Ashley's out this episode, but I'm glad I don't have to wait any longer for that. Where is she now? She's really happy. I'm loving that. Um, Also, like, a little bit of a hometown homie in New York here. So, um, wow. Okay, so very uplifting note to end that on. Um, Let's bring it down again. Uh, Judges table. Nancy. I'm honestly, like... At a bit of a loss with this episode. You know what? So am I. I actually, there's one thing I had, but I definitely can't speak for a minute on it. And it was Mike Voltaggio's big dumb brown hat. Did you notice that? 
Yes. It was so big and dumb. And, like, he, like, had it on so... So this is in his talking heads. He's, like, wearing this, like, backwards, like... I don't even know if I call it a baseball cap. It's just so big and dumb. And it's, like... You know what it looks like? It looks like those big hats that I tried to buy. (laughs) Those gigantic baseball caps that were on, like, Shark Tank or something. They're really bad, dude. It was bad. Um, Yes, it does. Big noggin. Yeah, Michael Otaggio's fashion, it's so of this moment. Like, he's a real, like, yeah. bad boy. Yeah. And I've he's been wearing his. Bad. I've been bad. He's wearing his Converse <laughs> shoes and his big brown hat. What a silly outfit. Yeah, it is a funny little. Anyway, so I'm actually really happy to, like, kind of not have a judge's table for today. I think, like, I'm glad to know Ashley's still killing it. Um, and this has just been a really fun episode. Uh, we're down to nine chefs. If you can believe it, um, that means we have next week and then Restaurant Wars. We love Restaurant Wars. Oh um, my gosh. Okay, well, this has been so fun chatting Top Chef. Um, this is compliments to the chef, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>